Okay, you could start whenever. Welcome back to another episode of the Born Again Again podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Joe. We're an ex-Christian couple learning how to live on the other side of religion. On this podcast, we'll talk about our journey, reasons we left the church, things we're going through now, and ways we've grown since. So today, we're going to be talking about one of the biggest reasons why we decided to not be Christian anymore, and that's God's love. God's love. So, Joe, do you want to start off by saying some things you believed about God's love when you were a Christian? I, like many Christians, thought that God was all-loving and unconditionally loving and i thought that he was all powerful which meant that his love was all powerful basically i guess like the whole i thought that anything good and loving that was in humanity or in myself came from god as the source Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean he was like the all loving source of love in the universe yeah i thought he cared about me personally i thought he uh like paid attention to my thoughts i thought that he knew how many hairs were on my head mm-hmm. which that's a weird thing is that in the bible i don't know probably is there's a lot of weird stuff in there <laughs> why does he care about how many hairs on our head are there i don't know and not care about so many other <laughs> I, more I, I important couldn't tell things. you that <laughs> but i could tell you that i i used to think he did i thought he was listening to me i thought that every time i prayed he was there like patiently and lovingly listening to my prayers um and it felt like real love, honestly, at sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt, feel like I was pretty convinced that he loved me, and I felt like I was experiencing that on a regular basis. Um, yeah. yeah. What did you think? Did you experience the same? Yeah, I totally did. I mean, you know, we were sort of on the same track. Yeah, I believe that he was just the ultimate source of love. I believe yeah. that he was the example of love by which everything else found love. Mm-hmm. And I believe that he created love. So if even if you didn't believe in him, you were experiencing his love because in the world. Like if you ever experienced love for someone or for a thing or for nature, that that love was bred out of God and, yeah. because he created everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was only when you knew God and knew his love that you really could experience love at its finest. Like, like true love. True love. Yeah. Like you, that was the only way you could truly appreciate and truly love everything. Like you might have some kind of love because, you know, love is in the world since he created it, but you couldn't have like the ultimate kind of yeah. love that only <laughs> yeah. God gives. I felt that too. Like people, non-Christians could experience love too, but it was like a little bit worse version. (laughs) Yes. Right. But like the only reason they could experience any version of love was because God made them and they were made in God's image and God was loving. And so they got like just a piece of that by extension. Mm -hmm. But we had like tons of love because we had the Holy Spirit in us. Yes. Right. Yeah. I I actually, another area, I guess for us uh, was we kind of used God's love as like a model for our marriage. Oh yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't really think about that, but like, you know, all throughout the Bible, there's so many references to God and the church, like God's love for the church and God's love for his people mm-hmm. being like a husband loving his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was totally on board with those. Yeah. I think we like probably talked about it a little bit in our relationship one, but we definitely did model our love after God. And we felt like since, like I said, he was the ultimate source of love that we were able to have an amazing relationship because he was a part of our relationship, Yeah, which we later found to not be the case because we realized that 
it's better to not have a third wheel in your marriage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like a lot of the worship songs and like our worship times were really fueled by God's love too. Because mm-hmm. we, it, yeah. you know, we like loved singing worship songs and singing Christian songs and listening to Christian music. And a lot of that was about like how wonderful God's love was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got pumped by that. Yeah. I think that a lot of, I feel like the overarching theme of every church we went to and every like Christian group we were a part of was that God was love. Yeah. I think like that was the main, the main takeaway. Yeah. That God's love. Which is great. I feel we kind of got into it like in a way that hippies, I think got into love. Definitely at the end. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because it was fun. I don't know. Obviously it's like great if you're singing about how much someone loves you or how much you're loved and how much, there's love in the air and like you're filled with love and the spirit of love and the Holy spirit loves through you and all that. That's mm-hmm. like, sounds amazing. Yeah. It makes you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> so we believed in God's love all that to say, um, we were totally on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a couple examples of verses from the Bible that talk about God as love. And I found a lot of really cool Bible verses for this podcast. And Joe made me pare down because he thinks the Bible is boring. Dude, the Bible is so boring. <laughs> and I've spent 20 plus years reading that dumb old book. Which we'll I totally, it, I totally agree with. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Joe, but like, I was like, Oh, what's this verse? Like, yeah. this is, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, but I'll spare you. Good. I've only saved a few verses. If, so these first couple, <laughs> <to read. laughs> yeah. So these first couple are like some verses that kind of, uh, show why we believed that about God's love when we were Christian, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So the first one is the verse that everybody knows. It's probably like the most popular verse. It's John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then First John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Uh, and then I think later on in that same section, it says again, God is love. Mm-hmm. That must be part of where that comes from. Yeah. I was wondering why people say God is love. And I, so like, I was wondering exactly where and how yeah, that like was. That and I from. assumed that it was in the Bible multiple times. And I was really disappointed that I could only find it in this verse. And it was, it was just like the same sentiment repeated twice. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that's weird. I like everybody quotes that one part. God is love. And I was a little bit like, I was a little bit disappointed by the Bible verses. Um, so then I found this other verse, which is like, I thought was hilarious because it, it's about God declaring himself as good. Oh, yeah. So yeah. This, this is like when Moses is up on Mount Sinai with the two stone tablets with the commandments, right? Mm-hmm. And it's an and Exodus. The Lord comes to him. Exodus 34, four through seven is what, um, I looked up to read. And I'm starting at verse five right now. So everyone, uh, follow along in your Bibles, please. <laughs> please turn to <laughs> Exodus 34. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there. <laughs> when I read this, I thought of the cloud, like with Apple. Oh, the cloud. Yeah. Oh, prophecy, dude. Yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> All right. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. So he comes down, he proclaims his own name, the I'm, Lord. I'm going to say that when I come like in the rooms, <laughs> I'm just going to say, Joe. Joe has arrived. <laughs> okay. So he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, 
rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. <laughs> Dude, what the heck? Okay. The first half of that sounded... <laughs> the first half of it. Let's just go back. But the first half, he's basically saying, okay, I am the compassionate, gracious God. I'm slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and I forgive all of the sins. So that's just the part that we want to focus on now. We're just going to kind of forget the last part. So God claims that he's good. Yeah, that's where he declares his own nature to be that compassionate, loving, good, forgiving, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so all those, uh, all those kind of talk about why people think God is loving, why we thought God is loving. And there's um, so many more. There's a bunch. Yeah, it. there's yeah. a ton more. Yeah, these are just um, highlighted ones. A couple that we found quickly. Uh, so then we thought, let's look up the Bible's own definition of love. Um, and so the best we could come up with, I guess, was 1 Corinthians The best 13. we could come up with? This is the best verse in the Bible, Joe. In the whole Joe. Bible. <laughs> this is the one that everyone uses every out of wedding. context at every wedding. That's true. So 1 Corinthians 13 <laughs> The definition of love, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. So uh, why don't we take this opportunity to judge God against his own definition of love? Okay, because those things sound pretty good to yeah, me. Yeah, I, actually, I think that's like probably a good definition of love. I like, like that verse, I would, yeah. I would use that as my own definition of love. That's mm-hmm. That's great. Mm. I think that if you are all these things that you're a really loving person, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Okay, so let's so what we were doing is we were kind of like judging God against these things like Joe just said and we started with envy uh because the first one after love is patient love is kind is it does not envy. So, we looked up envy in the Bible and there were so many verses about this, but here's just a few. In Deuteronomy 4:24 it says for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So he's describing himself here as jealous. Okay. And then... Lust, love yeah. doesn't envy, though. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Okay. All right. Exodus 25. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous jealous God. And then it says that same, that same line from the verse I read above, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So, I mean, we can forget the end again because that's not, we're not going there right now, but God says he's a jealous God. Okay. Again, in Nahum 1, 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with, with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. All right. So do you feel like God envies? Yeah. Uh, Yep. Okay. God is super envious and... It's pretty clear uh, in the Bible that he is. Yeah. I feel like somebody maybe could say, like, well, those three verses are out of context. But, I mean, come on. So is God is love. Yeah, that's true. All right. Um, so the next one we're going to go to is it is oh. not self-seeking. Yeah. So love is not self-seeking. This one is, like, so... We don't have any verses for we this didn't one need any. We didn't need yeah, any verses. But the whole Bible, the whole like, story of the gospel is that God wants his children to worship him. He wants us to give up our entire lives and like everything about ourselves and turn it over to him and, and put all of our focus and attention on him and pray to him ceaselessly and worship him without ceasing. He wants all the glory. And spread his glory to everyone on earth and tell everyone we know about him and about his plan for their lives. 
It's he's completely self seeking. Seems self seeking to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like there's not much more to say. I feel like I, if I was still a Christian, what I would be saying right now is, well, God is God, and He lives up to a like different. He deserves it. He has a different standard than we do of love. Yeah. But then, I feel like that's something you can't say because then how can we describe Him as love if He's like outside of the definition of love? Right. Then we need a new word. Yeah, we need a new word. You're changing the rules of love. Yeah. Like r- love has these rules and it's written in the bible we should yeah they're the rules okay okay (laughs) (laughs) okay so the next one is anger is god angry um this one i looked up and it's any verse in the old testament uh you can find uh the anger burned against them god had he he was angry and his anger burned against them or him or whatever he's always his anger is always burning his anger is burning bright all the time Mm-hmm. He's very angry at the Israelites, the whole of the Old Testament. Yeah, and the non-Israelites. Yes, and I feel like Christians like know about this. They know that yeah. he's angry, right? But I don't know why. Why did we not care? Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't really understand that either. How we could have read the Bible as much as we did and came to the conclusion that God was loving, and I think we'll talk about that more later. But well, it's it's like so far. I mean, in like five minutes here, we've established that God is a jealous, envious God, he's self-seeking, and he's super angry, super quick to anger, and his anger burns forever on a lot of different mm-hmm. occasions. So, so far, those are three characteristics of God. I think that it's going to come down to that that argument, that Old Testament argument, that like, well, that was God in the Old Testament. You know, like these verses we're reading, they're all from the Old Testament. Yeah. And well, but, but like in the New Testament, still, he talks about God is like angry and will judge people who don't follow him. So, I mean, and I I mean, the Bible talks about how God never changes too. So that argument is weak to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) Yeah. So we, so we have like all of these, these, uh, few things, anger, self-seeking and jealousy. And now we go on to the record of wrongs. And so, um, I want to repeat the part that we keep reading above, um, which is like, it's such a record of wrong because God says he's going to punish the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. And that just means that you keep a record of wrongs. If you can remember like which children are from which parents and which generation, you know, they came from, then that means you're keeping some kind of score. Maybe he remembers it all. So then it doesn't count. And keeping a record of wrongs literally means writing it down. No. <laughs> that's a record okay <laughs> okay Ooh, here's another one then. but this one's from the new testament yeah second corinthians yeah. five it says we all must appear before the judgment seat of christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad so yeah judgment day apparently is going to have a book with all of our deeds in it good and bad um keeping a record of wrong yeah, that's definitely keeping a record yeah, it's of wrong. Like cut and dry. And then this one from Revelation twenty twelve. When I found it, I was like, I was thinking, do Christians take Revelation seriously? I don't know. We I don't did. know either, but it's in the Bible. We the d- only source of information we have anywhere in the entire world from any point in any of history is from the Bible. So yes, so I feel like we there. should be able to read any part of it. <laughs> it should be reliable. But I was just thinking, I was just hearing Christians in my head being like, oh well, we don't like, we don't take from revelation oh, i feel like revelation. everywhere you take 
a verse from. There's always some kind of justification for why you can't use that verse in that situation. Right. So from Revelation, it says so clearly that God keeps record of wrongs because it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Okay, well. Record of wrongs. He wrote it Here down. Here it is in a My book. previous theory has been debunked. So, what the heck is... This was... This, like, was just such a huge thing for us. Yeah. The to biggest realize, revelation. Yeah. It was kind of scary. Yeah, it totally was. Everything is so scary. Everything, all when of you these realize. revelations are super, it's like they're equally scary and equally exciting because it, it feels, it literally felt like scales were falling off of our eyes and we could see God clearly for the first time, mm-hmm. or at least more clearly. Because I think up until like a year ago or two years ago, we had held this belief that God was good. I don't know. I think everyone kind of thinks God is good, even if they don't know about Christianity or the specifics of the Bible. I feel like the general idea is that if there is a God, he's good. And I think we held that. And on top of that, we thought God was love and we like worshiped him all the time because of his love. And we felt his love and we shared love with other people because he loved us and because he put his love in us. And so reading the Bible after being out of the church for a little bit with a little bit clearer perspective was such a crazy eye-opening experience in many ways, but specifically this, Mm -hmm. that I remember that time when we realized, whoa, God isn't loving. Why did we, why did we think that he was loving? Yeah. It was a really strange feeling to realize that. And I think that, I think that a lot of people will say, well, we have Jesus at least. Jesus is loving. And yeah, Jesus said some nice things, but he's like not, he's not exempt from, from this stuff because he still like is part of God and he still judges us based on what we do. Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, so we were talking about this, uh, I don't know. I think it was about a year ago and we were talking about unconditional love. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we, we always thought God's love was unconditional. I think, I feel like a lot of people think that, right? Yeah. Do you guys think that? We thought he was unconditionally loving. Yeah, totally. I mean, that was like one of the biggest things. God was unconditionally loving and we couldn't be, but we should aspire to be, right? Yes. He was, well, he, he was if the, he's model the perfect model. Yeah. Then he has to be unconditional. So that was really interesting. The first night, um, I actually wrote down in my journal when I had a realization that it's the day after Christmas. Oh yeah, like it was this past December twenty sixth, two thousand eighteen. <laughs> when I realized that God's love was not unconditional, I wrote, "Just had the realization that God's love is the fur- furthest thing from unconditional. He loves you if you love, worship, and surrender to Him, and sends you to hell if you don't." How is that unconditional love? That's <laughs> the whole basis of some people's understanding of God. So that was. I remember like being like, "What the heck?" Yeah. Like my mind's <laughs> so blown right now. Yeah. It's so blown. The thing that was most mind blowing is that we never thought about that before. Yeah. That like there's this obvious, huge, massive, glaring condition that God will love you if you give yourself to him. And if you don't give yourself to him, then he's throwing you to eternal torment in hell. That's like the biggest possible (laughs) condition for love. I, I can't think of a, a more like weighty condition. No. And I like, and you and I talk about this all the time that these are his rules. Like he made it up. He could make it a different way. Yeah. He made the system. I, I think 
It's, People are like, well, he loves you. He doesn't want to send you to hell. Well, who was making up the but rules? But he made the rules that said that we had to go to hell, you know? So, yeah. like, he's not off the hook. He I, I, he made the world to be this way, and he made the rules for not following him eternal torment. And mm-hmm. so that's not loving. That's not what a loving God would do. No. I think it's really hard to see if every single day you tell yourself that God is love over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't. I think that it would be so hard for you to see this, you know, what this really means and how impactful it can be. I think that I feel like you need to like step outside of Christianity, not have so much stock in it in order to see it because I didn't see it until we were out for two years. Right. I didn't even realize it. I think you're probably right. I mean, we kind of like were brainwashed in a sense from the time we were really young and told that God was loving and that God was good and all of that like all the time from the time we were little kids and then to the point where we got older and then we could start telling that to ourselves every day and then singing songs about it and then talking about that with other people. Yeah. Maybe it was just like the most extreme level of self suggestion Mm -hmm. that we were actually just like blinded to what was directly right in front of us. I mean, if you're told something your whole life, how would you not believe it? And why, what reason do you have to not believe what everyone around you is telling you? Yeah. You know, even like reading the Bible, like I don't, I wouldn't even ever read those parts. I would never even, they would never register. Yeah. They would never register. I think that's the weird thing is that we were told our whole life that, that God was loving, but like also at the same time we were reading the Bible, which describe, I mean, we just read the Bible tonight and it's super clear right now that he's not loving, but like I read those same things all the time in the past, but somehow I like couldn't register them, Mm -hmm. you know, even the unconditional love thing. It seems so obvious now that like, yeah, obviously there's a condition to God's love. Mm -hmm. But at the time I thought God is love. He's he loves you unconditionally without, you know, without holding anything back. His love is fierce for you. Once you follow his condition, he does. It's weird. It's so weird, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. And I have to say that this is really interesting. I was trying to look up the word unconditional in the Bible and I didn't find it. And, um, I don't know if maybe I was just mistaken, but I, I think oh, that's, I think you were using the wrong translation. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I'm just <laughs> um, kidding. I think that, I think that's some, something that's really interesting because I heard that God loves us unconditionally a lot and that's not in the Bible. At all. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even though the own, the Bible itself knows that God loves us with conditions. Right. And another thing that's interesting is I was trying to look up about unconditional love and like what Christians have to say about it. And like most people were just saying, oh, God's love is unconditional and showing a lot of verses about they love. They were saying that? Yeah. They were saying it in their title of like maybe like a blog post yeah. or whatever. Uh-huh. And then just citing verses that didn't necessarily say anything about unconditional love. But then I found this this um, article on desiringgod.com and they came out right away and admitted it that God's love is not unconditional and I thought that was really interesting because I thought isn't that well that website is really fundamentalist I think so yeah John Piper I don't know I think so it's it's always interesting to me like that some Christians will tell you that God's love is unconditional and then other ones can be like, okay, yeah, it is conditional. Yeah. And like the, just the division between that, like it, <laughs> yeah. it just seems just really interesting. So I thought that was, I actually thought it was really cool that they admitted yeah. that God's love is conditional because it totally is. Yeah. I, I, I think so. If you read the book, if you read the Bible, I don't know how you could read that coming from a neutral perspective 
and get to the end and think, wow, yeah, God loves everyone unconditionally. Uh, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't. But it's weird. We both thought so. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people around us believe that too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think so too. Um, so next, there's just a few things we wrote down about the, like other points. We're going to glaze over them pretty quickly, but like that, that made us question God's love when we were rereading the Bible mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. non-Christians. Mm-hmm. And so just first and foremost, it goes along with being unconditional is just hell. You know, why, why does God have a hell? Yeah. And like, why would he send it to send us to hell for not believing in him, you know, for his condition, you know, his right. condition is you believe me or you go into this, this torment for forever. I, th- I think that if, if this universe and all of this was created by an all loving God, then hell could not exist. I don't, I don't see how like a benevolent, all knowing, all powerful, all loving God could create hell. Mm-hmm. a place of like torment and suffering that doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like just the fact that hell exists, which I guess some people don't think it exists, but we believed it existed. Well, it definitely and, it's, if they don't think it exists, then they believe that heaven does. And so you're getting punished in one way by just not going to heaven with yeah, all of the sure. Christians, right. you know, like, so it is like, it's an eternal punishment where yeah. you just have a little bit crappier life. Right. On earth or <laughs> whatever. Little, I don't know. A little crappier. Like you just dirt, don't get to go to heaven. House. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that really like puts things in perspective is when I compare God as my heavenly father to my earthly father. Mm-hmm. And if I think like, would my dad ever decide to send me to a worse place than here just because I don't love him yeah, or if, don't talk to him or whatever. And no, yeah, no, yeah. he wouldn't. And he's human, right? He's not even a God. And my dad's a more loving father than the God almighty of the Bible. Totally. And yeah. that like, re- I feel like those kinds of realizations, once I started comparing God to people, which seemed so sacrilegious at first, but like, like, <laughs> I don't know, just, what do you think in your gut is a loving thing to do? Yeah. You know, like Trust stop your like redefining the word love. Yeah. What's loving? Uh-huh. When do you feel loved? Do you feel love when someone says you're bad, go to hell? <laughs> or do you feel loved when they say that sucked that you did that to me, but I still I'll love you. I love you. Yeah. yeah. That, that sounds nice. Yeah. That's, that's love. That's selfless love. Right. I th- I totally think that our parents love us so much better and more with fewer conditions than God does. Yeah. I, I, I almost think like a stranger loves me with fewer conditions than God does. Yeah. I feel like a stranger just wouldn't care and be like, I don't care. I'm not going to send you to hell. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, hell, the, the whole f- idea that hell exists as a punishment for people who don't follow God, that I feel like a loving God can't coexist with hell. I don't know. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I think. Um, the, well, the first page in the Bible, I feel like it kind of sets the tone. Uh, the whole Adam and Eve story, I feel like, is such an indication of God's attitude towards humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe, I believe it might be the third page. Okay, I'm mistaken. I'm not a very good Bible scholar. Okay, yes, I'll, thank you. My, or my Bible pages are huge. Fine. <laughs> Uh, so God created the whole, created the garden of Eden and created Adam and Eve and put them in there. But not only did he do that, he also put a special tree in there that if they touch it, something real bad's going to happen. And then he also puts a special snake in there to try to trick them. And then when the snake is talking to these like 
first humans who don't know anything and they fall for his trick, then God says, you're cursed for all of eternity. Get out of the garden. You're not welcome back here. Yeah, what the heck? Dude, I, this is so annoying. I feel like if if you think of this in human perspective again, like you were just saying, that if you... Uh, you're a parent and you're going to leave your kid in the house alone. And you say like, you can do anything, have a great time. I, I trust you, but don't touch the stove. You'll get really hurt. It'll like burn you so bad. Don't touch the stove. Um, and then you send in a babysitter and the babysitter goes up to your kid and says, Hey, touch the stove. You know, it's not going to hurt you that bad. Your parents, they just, they don't want you to have that much fun. You should touch the stove. <laughs> When you come home and you find out that your kid burned themselves on the stove because they listened to that babysitter, you would comfort your child at first and you'd be like, you're the worst babysitter ever. Get out of here. Yeah. You can't come back. What God would do in this scenario is he would say to this kid, get out of my house. You are not welcome in here anymore. And I curse you for all of time. I told you already. I told you. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's real crappy. It doesn't seem like love. No. It seems like a. It seems like he created them with the condition, the condition that they have, they can have paradise if they don't touch this tree. Yeah, if they have. And then, obedience. but but then again, it goes back to the thing. Then why create it? Yeah, right. Like and and even so, trick? like God will, you know, love you if you believe in Him. Otherwise, He'll send him send us to hell. Then why create hell? Mm-hmm. It's just. All of these things that he's telling us to do, he made the rules. So he's, you know, he's allowed to say, like, skip that rule. Yeah. Just skip it. I'm God, <laughs> yeah. dude. I'm God. Okay, next. Um, the next thing, we were reading Job. And, like, every, you, if you know the story of Job, uh, Satan and God are basically, like, working together <laughs> to make Job's life terrible to show that even if job's life is terrible he will still be god's most faithful servant and just the premise of that is just like okay it doesn't seem like god is loving it just seems like he's toying with us like we're his playthings. yeah so i feel like i i just think that uh, my dad would never do that to me (laughs) so another it's another time that you can use that analogy of what do you think your dad would do like make a wager with a murderer over your life to yeah. just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all, like the whole Old Testament is full of examples where God commands his people to slaughter whole towns, where God kills Israelites for doing stupid things. I mean, the Old Testament is like a bloodbath. Yeah. Um, you read some stories and you're kind of like, I don't know why this is even in the Bible. Like if we're supposed to think that God is love, why just not tell this yeah. part? Just yeah. don't tell this part, you guys. It's not helping your <laughs> it's case. Not helping your narrative. <laughs> um, the flood, the oh, flood. Read like, um, that's a nice story. But when's the last time you read it with like open eyes, an open mind? Yeah, because like, dude, it just it just feels bad reading those verses where it says God basically regretted that He created mankind and He needed to wipe them out. It yeah. just sucks. That like hurts me, you know, because at the core of that is. The fact that God made us. Right. He's supposed to make us perfect. Why did he make us this way? Or at least to make a plan that made some sense. Yeah, I don't know. It just sucks. Like, it doesn't seem like a loving solution if your people all go astray. I guess I just better kill them all and start over. (laughs) I'll save one. (laughs) Yeah. You know, for for their clones. Yeah, some massive boat. Oh, and then the 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 whole promise at the end of that story 
I think when we were Christians, we'd see a rainbow and we'd be like, oh, God's promise, the flood, you know, all that. That's so great. I'm so thankful for God's promise. God's promise, people. like promise God's, he'll come again or whatever we yeah, thought. I don't know what we thought. I think, yeah, I don't know. But the, what God is actually promising, if you read the story, uh, he says that the rainbow is a sign that he will never kill everyone in the world with a flood again. Specifically a flood. Yeah. Yes. What kind of promise is that? Yeah. That means he could still kill us with lightning or fire. Yes. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Okay, then the, another one that we reread is the Tower of Babel. And you should go reread that story. It just kind of... God seems like he's very insecure. He doesn't want people building a tall, tall enough tower that will get to the heavens. Yeah, they're getting and so he a little just too strong. Him. He so like he... <laughs> just makes everybody speak different languages and like, so that they can't build it. Yeah. Cause he's just, cause he's insecure. So it seems like, yeah. He like just met over and over again. He just kind of messes with people. Another time he messes with people is he hardens Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. So that, cause Pharaoh is on track. He's going to like, isn't he going to agree with Moses Something and let like the that. Israelites yeah, go? I know it said that the Pharaoh, God needed to harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh wouldn't listen to the Israelites mm-hmm. so that he could punish them it, and kill their newborns. And it I just don't, seems just like, so backward. Yeah. I just, yeah. I don't know how you could read the Bible period with a fresh perspective and get to the end of it and think that God was loving at all. It just, it, it is baffling. It's mm-hmm. baffling that I could have believed that so wholeheartedly and like told so many people, you mm-hmm. know, I, well, we like we evangelized to so many kids, so many people and told them how loving God was and told them that God loved them and just wanted them to be uh, in relationship with him and all of that. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I think some of those people we evangelized to, if they were to go home and just read the Bible for themselves, they probably would think we were nuts. Well, they could probably, they would probably read the New Testament. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was, and I was thinking about that. Like, yeah, I think a lot, maybe if Christians are listening, I don't know. Are you listening, Christians? (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Um, that a lot of them will say, well, yeah, we, you know, we know that God is kind of crazy in the Old Testament, but Jesus is love, you know, and I, I, I know what they mean. Jesus is like really, really kind. He has a lot of really nice things to say. I think that there are a lot of good verses in the Bible that people could use as to enrich you know, their life. To enrich and, their yeah. life. Yeah. And um but even Jesus is judgmental. And yeah. I there's this parable I found or the story about the sheep and the goats in Matthew twenty five that Joe made me not read to oh you because gosh. it was so long. Katie has been itching to read this. I, she loves I it. I won't read it. Um but you, you know the story of the sheep and the goats, the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's, it's just, it's Jesus and he, you know, the son of man, he's separating us into the believers and the non-believers, the sheep and the goats. Um, and it's, and it's actually just, it's really interesting because at the end, he basically says, all of you who, you know, are not with me, you're going to eternal torment. And I've never really noticed like how clear it was in the, in that verse. And it's coming from Jesus. Yeah. And it's about him, the son of man. Right. And that, that parable is interesting for other reasons too. Uh, but like, you should just go read it. Yeah. It's a good example of like Jesus, Jesus himself being the one who's judging and who's throwing people into hell mm-hmm. and separating the saved from the unsaved. Yes. Yes. And, I feel like all of this uh, subconsciously affected us and how we view 
love. Yeah. We noticed, you know, coming out, there's just been a difference in how we feel about other people, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel towards each other. Yeah. And like, so I don't know, Joe, do you want to say like, how, how did it affect you and how you loved people? Yeah. I don't, it's hard to say like specifically this one thing and how specifically God's love affected me, but I feel like there are definitely some patterns that I see in the Bible and then patterns that I've had to work through in my own life. Um, I think the biggest issue is that our whole time as Christians, we were trying to model ourselves after God and like make ourselves as much like God as possible. And obviously we weren't like killing people all the time um, <laughs> yeah. and doing some of that stuff, but like we held God in the highest regard as the source of love and like the perfect standard for love. Um, and so we're realizing now we had the worst model for love, mm-hmm. you know, I, I if we're following first Corinthians 13 and saying love is patient and kind and doesn't keep a record of wrongs and all of that, that sounds great. But I feel like the actions of God in the Bible, um, went against that. And so our role model for love was crappy at it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that for me, it was the mainly the underlying unconditional. I mean, I'm so sorry opposite conditional nature of his love that really affected me. Oh, I never knew in my head that his love was conditional, but I learned to love conditionally. Mm-hmm. And I like, we were just, I was just talking about in that, that parable of the sheep and the goats. We talk about this, that we separated people in our minds. Oh my like gosh. who, you know, we, who is a Christian? Who's a, who's a non-Christian and the Christians deserved a different kind of love and the non-Christians, we loved them, but we also had a con, like, I feel the best way to describe it is a condescending love yeah. towards them. It was like, oh, you, you need God or you can't really experience this life. And I love you, but that, but, you know, yeah. I love you, but it was always that kind of, I, I, yeah, the best way to describe it is just condescension. Yeah. I think like the, the feeling of, of condescending. And I would never admit that I felt that way, but it was totally how I felt yeah. about people. And it was, it's, it's so related to the, the sheep and the goats. I feel like I'm saying sheep and the goats a lot. You really love the sheep and the goats. I do, but it's, it's such an interesting example. And it's, and it's so like, I feel like so many people, so many Christians have that mentality. It goes along with black and white thinking. There's yeah. so many things I'd love to say about black and white thinking. Um, but like, sheep and the goats like two different kinds of people you're in or you're out like and you get different kinds of love and that's because god gives you different kinds of love god loves you unconditionally if you're in he does not love you unconditionally if you're out it was modeled after that yeah isn't that so strange now the way that i relate to people and the way i see people in the world is so different Mm -hmm. and you're right that when i was christian i think like the moment i met somebody if I didn't already know, I'd be wondering if they were Christian or not, you know? And if I knew they weren't Christian, I think I definitely thought through my conversations differently and like would always be looking for opportunities to try to save them. And to me, that was loving. Mm -hmm. But like in actuality, now I'm looking back on it. It was arrogant for one, like for me to assume that they needed help. And two, it it was really condescending. Like you said, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like saying, like, I know you think you're happy, but actually you're really struggling. You have no idea, like, yeah. the trouble you're in, you know, and I'm here to help you or whatever. Or God's here to help you and I'm going to tell you all about it. Yeah. It was a weird thing. Like, you're right. It's it's 
us versus them. It's very divisive. Mm-hmm. It's very much that you don't relate to everybody immediately. If you meet a Christian person, I feel like there was a sense of like kinship with them mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. If you were talking to a non-Christian person, there was a wall between you and you knew that you like never could be that close to them unless they were Christian too. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Did you too? Yeah, I totally did. I feel, and I was going to say to what you were saying before, I feel like when you are talking to a non-Christian as a Christian and you're always looking for opportunities to say something or an opportunity to share the gospel, that's like, that's what being a bad listener is. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, all you're doing is waiting for an opening and, and you're only listening for the one thing, like a one kind of thing that would make you think that this person needs God. You're just a bad listener. Yeah. You're a bad listener and a bad friend. If you're constantly praying on your friends, hoping that they bring up something spiritual and like waiting for your opportunity to, to talk to them about those things. We it's, were that way. We can, we were. I feel like we can say that. Yeah. That it's a I bad was, friend because that's how, what's, <laughs> That's what we did. Man, I was that way. I apologized to my friends who I wasn't like true friends with because I always had in the back of my mind some plan of trying an agenda. Yeah. To try to convert them. I feel, I feel really bad about it. I feel bad about my coworkers who I would always be trying to bring up spiritual conversations with. It's like I cared about them as people, but I also like didn't care about them as people as much as I cared about my own agenda for them. Mm -hmm. It sucks. It's. Yeah, that wasn't loving, but it was modeled after the, the air quotes, perfect example of love, you know? Well, that's how God the, loves. Yeah. He loves us based on if we believe in him or not. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly how we loved other people. Yeah. We had a certain kind of love for people who didn't believe, but it wasn't the same kind of love. Right. You could feel it. It felt different. Yeah. I think I learned so much to love based on conditions, uh, <laughs> I really, for some reason, took hold of the justice part of God. I feel like people deserve, should get their just desserts, I guess. Mm-hmm. is I feel like people either don't deserve love or do deserve love. I mean, I think this is something I'm still working on. It like came from, I don't know, it subconsciously grew in me from my family, from the Bible, from church. I don't know. But I like, I, for whatever reason, I really like hung on to the justice and I, I feel like I can't, it's hard for me to tell somebody that I love them unless I feel that they deserve it. Yeah. Like, just like I think God doesn't love you unless you deserve it. He doesn't send you to heaven unless you deserve it. Yeah. And it, somehow that like translated to me, it's still super hard for me to say I love you to people. You know, it just seems really foreign. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, Joe has this tattoo. He just he sort of recently got and it says, I love you. And it's written on his wrist so that he can read it. And it, it is actually inspired by a book, right? Or uh, somebody got inspired by a book and then they got that same tattoo. And it's supposed to remind him to love others and love himself. Like I love you as in looking at it, like I love you, Joe. And to think that thought, I love you to strangers. So yeah. it's kind of like a reminder, right? Yeah. My goal was that every time I interact with somebody, my first thought about them is I love you mm-hmm. coming at them with that perspective. And that's interesting because you actually got that after you stopped being a Christian. Yeah. 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 And it, I almost it, got it symbolized tattoos. a way, wait, hang on just a second. It <laughs> symbolized a way, a new way to look at people. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying if you're a Christian that you don't have good love because some, I think some Christians are really good at loving people, but just the people we are around 
and the type of Christian we grew up to be, we had a different kind of love for non-believers. Yeah. yeah and what kind of tattoos were you going to get? <laughs> yeah, I didn't get the tattoos. When I was Christian, I had plans to get tattoos on both of my forearms, huge ones. On one arm, I wanted to say soldier of God. And then on the other one, I wanted to say disciple of Christ. So In Hebrew. In Hebrew, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I kind of dodged a bullet there. Yeah. Although at least nobody would have been able to read it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so back to the tattoo, it just says, I love you. And when Joe first got it, we joked all the time. This was like our best joke that we would do when we tell the story (laughs) that I should get a tattoo in the same place, same font that says, I judge you. (laughs) But like now I feel as though I realize, you know, we joke about it, but it's true. It's like hard for me to love. You know, it's hard for me to love if you don't deserve it. And I'm trying to work on that. And when I look at the Bible, I kind of get an inkling of where that maybe came from. Yeah, right. You know? if you, I feel like the highest value in the Bible is justice, yes. which is like why there has to be like blood sacrifice for everything. And they're so obsessed with blood and so obsessed for like payment for our sins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, payment and for I your think, sin. And God will avenge you. Yeah. Like, don't worry about your enemies. God yeah, will he'll get them back get later. Get them back. Yeah. yeah. And like, and I, I loved that, I guess. Yeah. That really. Well, I, I like, um, in a way, I see the appeal to it because it's really simple and it feels like. Well, I want to be treated fairly, but I think what we're learning now is that love in our life, day to day, love is a way higher value and a more important priority to us than justice is. Mm-hmm. And I think there's times when we need to love each other even when we don't deserve it. You know? Yeah. How could you have a marriage otherwise? Yeah. You're right. not. I'm not deserving of love all the time. Yeah. Right. And no. And you're not either. But like we. <laughs> We do love each other and we try to love each other all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's so much of a more beautiful way to live to just like give love out freely to everybody um, instead of having so many rules and and guidelines and conditions for who gets love and who doesn't. Yeah, I think the word love was really distorted for us. And I think a lot of words in the Bible get distorted and they have their own definitions and you need to really check them with, you know. Your gut, really. Yeah. Your intuition, which is hard because you're taught not to trust your feelings, your gut, yourself. Otherwise, it's pride. Mm-hmm. It's prideful to do that. But we say go for it. Take a risk. Trust your gut. Trust See your what gut. happens. Um, well, we wanted to um, wrap up with uh, a quote or a little a paragraph from, from Mark Twain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called A Description of the Bible God. Can I read it? Yeah. And Katie's going to read it. <laughs> I love to read out loud. A description of the Bible God. A God who could make good children as easily as bad, yet preferred to make bad ones. Who could have made every one of them happy, yet never made a single happy one. Who made them prize their bitter life, yet stingingly cut it short. Who gave his angels eternal happiness unearned, yet required his other children to earn it. Who gave his angels painless lives, yet cursed his other children with biting miseries and maladies of mind and body, who mouths justice and invented hell, mouths golden rules and forgiveness multiplied 70 times 7 and invented hell, who mouths morals to all people and has none himself, who frowns upon crimes, yet commits them all, who created man without invitation, then tries to shuffle the responsibility for man's acts upon man instead of honorably placing it where it belongs upon himself. And finally, with altogether divine obtuseness, invites this poor abused slave 
to worship him. That's from Mark Twain uh, in The Mysterious Stranger. That was super heavy. Yeah. But also I, an amazing, beautiful, beautiful description of what we realized. Yeah. And I just want to say on the other side of this, after being out of the chains that we used to call freedom, it is so good to love. It is so good to love you. It is so good to love other people. It's so good to love gay people and trans people and people who aren't Christian. And people who have abortions. And people who sin. I love loving people. It feels so good to be able to love freely, you know, and mm-hmm. not hold any judgments over anybody. And I think the last podcast we did, you said something about how Christians love, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Yeah. And that was, that's, you can say you love a sinner. Yeah. But you're not, that's not love. If you have a part of them that you're holding above them right. or against them. <laughs> against them. And yeah. I feel like never before have I felt so connected to people. Yeah. And that Connecting is, that humanity. was never my strength. Yeah. Mine was never a connection to humanity, humanity loving people. You know, I was very like hell bent, like I said, on judgment. And so, and justice. Yeah. And, but now I feel so connected to people and it feels amazing. And yeah. I feel like I have a lot of free love to give. You know that, this is the last thing I'll say. You know that mm-hmm. that like phrase people say, um, like you deserve to be loved. I see mm-hmm. I see like pretty pictures on Instagram and it'll say like, uh, you deserve to be loved, or like everyone deserves to be loved, or you are worthy of love, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I never believed that as a Christian. I always thought that was so like woo-woo. Really? And yeah, I don't know. I just like I thought, why? You know, not everyone's love. Maybe there's people who are like really crappy people and I don't think they deserve love, whatever. But now I feel like, you know what? If you're human, you deserve love because you're part of the group. You know, yeah. we're all in this together. We're all on this earth together. None of us really know what we're doing. Let's like love each other and take care of each other um, and not put these weird divides of religion and dogma and judgment and condemnation. Mm-hmm. Just get and it on conditions, conditions for love. No conditions. No. I love you. If you're listening, I love you. And I actually do. Probably more now than I ever have in my whole life. Yes. Because I'm free. Yeah. Yeah. I love you too. I don't judge you. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. All right. See you next time. 